open the Scriptures, both, again, in the Old Testament and in the New. Last Sunday morning, we already opened the Scriptures in the prophecy of Zechariah. Now we turn to chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12, the verses 10 through 14. And in the New Testament, we turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 19, the verses 23 through 37. Zechariah 12, from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Haradrimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by themselves, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. That is our passage in Zechariah chapter 12. We now turn to the Gospel according to John and read from chapter 19, the verses 23 through 37. We continue to hear the Word of God. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So far the reading of God's holy word. This morning I may focus your attention particularly on that last part of the Scripture passage in John 19. John 19, the verses 31 to 37, is the text for the sermon of this morning. I would like to read these verses once again closely. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 34, the stanzas 6, 7, and 8. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, brothers and sisters, reveals the glad tidings of our salvation. At no other place the gospel is as moving, however, as in the account of the events at Golgotha. We tremble because of our sins when we see that God's wrath against sin is so great. Rather than leaving them unpunished, he has punished them in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. At the same time, our amazement is boundless 
when we see that his love is so great that he did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us who were sinners and enemies. If anywhere the Son made known the Father to us, beloved, it is at Golgotha. That's where we learn to know the Father, the Almighty God with whom no one can be compared. Never did anything happen that can be likened to the sacrifice God's only Son made at Golgotha. In fact, never could anything like it come up in the heart of men. Indeed, none of the gods that are served and worshipped among men has ever, presented, have, has ever been presented as just and as gracious as our God. What God has ever been sent to have sent his only Son to pay with his life for the sin of a world deserving eternal condemnation. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Well, this gospel of Christ's suffering and death on the cross, brothers and sisters, is the treasure of the church. It has pleased God by this gospel of the crucified Christ to save those who believe. Hence, this gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Whoever believes it and is baptized will be saved. Whoever rejects it and disobeys the Son of God, on him the wrath of God remains. That is according to the testimony of the Holy Spirit. We accept and believe this testimony by the working of the Holy Spirit. Hence, we proclaim to you the fulfillment of the Scriptures in Jesus as the Christ revealed in his death also. We see, first of all, the way of this fulfillment. Secondly, the importance of this fulfillment. And thirdly, the meaning of this fulfillment. So I summarize the message of our text as follows. The fulfillment of the Scriptures in Jesus as the Christ revealed in his death also. We see the way of this fulfillment, the importance of this fulfillment, and the meaning of this fulfillment. So first of all, the way of this fulfillment. Our text, brothers and sisters, begins with the introduction to the request of the Jews. The chief priest, most likely, came to Pilate to ask him to have the legs of the crucified men broken, that they might be taken away. The Romans had the practice to leave them on the cross until they had died. They would even leave them on the cross after they had died sometimes. Then the vultures would come and pick them. It could happen that a death on the cross would come only after more than a day. That would mean in this case that the three men would remain on the cross, dead or dying, even on the Sabbath. 
Now, the leaders knew that the Romans also had a way to hasten the process of dying, namely by means of the breaking of the bones. The Romans, oh, sorry. Then the bones were shattered by means of the heavy blows of a hammer, a sledgehammer or a heavy iron bar. A method like that was frightfully inhumane. A doctor commenting on the practice said about it, the shock attending such cruel injury to bones can be the coup de grace, the mercy blow causing death. The additional advantage of this method, supposedly, is the fact that someone whose bones are smashed that way cannot escape anymore either. Now, the purpose of the request of the chief priests, however, was not to apply the coup de grace to these crucified men. They did not have any mercy for them, least for the Lord Jesus. All they wanted was a hastening of the process. The sooner the men would die, the better. Then they could be thrown onto the city dump as quickly as possible. They hide their actual intention, however, behind a pious argument. It was the day of preparation. That's when preparations were made to prevent the desecration of the Sabbath. In fact, the law of Moses stated regarding any day of the week, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. Now, it's striking, of course, beloved, how scrupulous the members of the Sanhedrin became all of a sudden. What if there were three crucified men defiling the land, corrupting the city even, since they were hanging within the distance of a Sabbath day journey? Then this particular Sabbath was even more special since the Passover celebration was combined with it the hypocrites. Here they pay such serious attention to a small detail of the law, meanwhile passing over the greatest crimes. Now they are so careful to avoid outward pollution, while they had no concern for the fact that an innocent man was crucified here. That's not their problem, however. They want to get rid of their enemy. They have some arrangements to make for this special day that's coming up. Pilate had no problem with the request. In his position, the rule of thumb had always been, as much as possible, preserve the local religious customs. Hence, Pilate granted the request and sent his soldiers to Golgotha. That's where John saw them coming. What tense moment this must have been for this disciple. 
He saw these soldiers go to the one criminal and shatter his bones with his sledgehammer, then to the other to do the same. Then they came to the Lord Jesus, and they look. They have experience in a job like this, but they saw that he had already died. Whether it was the position of his body or the eyes, whatever, but they concluded that the practice was not necessary in this case. So they left it. The bones of the Lord Jesus were not broken. The evangelist John mentions it as a special fact. It's striking, unusual. The soldiers had planned to do all three. Considering the time frame, they should have had to do all three. The Lord Jesus, however, had died sooner than usual, sooner than the others had. The only reason for that was God's purpose with this fact. That purpose was the fulfillment of the Scriptures. Psalm 34, verse 21 here. We'll come back to that after. But let's first following, continue following the plot of John's account, beloved. Something else is done instead of breaking the bones. One of the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus with a spear. He probably wants to make sure that his observation is correct. So for certainty's sake, he wants to prove that the Lord Jesus is dead indeed. A sudden flow of blood and water came out. We'll leave the various medical explanations for now. The point here is that the soldier pierced the side with a spear. That's striking. Again, that's unusual. The soldiers were not planning to do this. Neither would they normally do this. Even if they sometimes would, here it is striking that it's the Lord Jesus' side that they pierced. Again, that too is the providence of God. Nothing happens by chance ever, let be here, where all things show how God is working out His secret counsel and will concerning our redemption. Well, that counsel and will had been revealed and would be fulfilled to the Christ. Zechariah 12, verse 10, at this occasion. Now, let's not just look at this in a matter-of-fact fashion, beloved. Whatever had preceded these events had been fulfillment of the Scriptures too. However, at that time, the plots of the Jews had coincided pretty much with the fulfillment of the Scriptures. At this time, these Jews were thinking that they were done with him. For them, the final measures were merely necessary to clean up and get the matter done and over with in order to go on with other business. Even so, also now, the Scriptures determined what happened to the Lord Jesus. The Jews were feeling somewhat victorious, perhaps, thinking that his death would finish off the case. 
What we see here, however, is not Jesus' defeat, but the beginning of their defeat. In the fulfillment of the Scriptures, we see the beginning of Christ's victory, the way through suffering to glory. And so we see in the second place the importance of this fulfillment. Brothers and sisters, we may not carelessly pass over the details in our text. It's not enough just to observe the fact of Christ hanging on the cross or of the things they do to his dead body. The evangelist John does not record this fact as a reporter either. John is looking for background information. John wants to show the connections. He wants to let the light of prophecy shine over the facts of the day. He's not just passing on news, something that may arouse some emotions, as the news is doing with us daily, quickly to be forgotten again. No, John is keenly aware of the church historical importance of this moment. This is the story of the man who dominates all history. This is the history of Christ who would be king of the church. He is the ruler of life, the redeemer of sinners, who has the keys of life and death. Yes, he would be all this through his death. Therefore, his death is important, and the fulfillment of the Scriptures regarding his death is important. There may be no doubt about it. There may be no questions remaining. Nothing but certainty is required here, so that you also may believe. That's the reason why John interrupts his account, brothers and sisters, and makes that remarkable comment saying about himself, the man who saw it has given testimony. That's not just an incidental witness, but a witness from God whom God has put there, a witness whom God's Spirit moves to give testimony. For the sake of the church, for the sake of the proclamation of the church. Yes, he knows that his testimony is true, he adds. Now, the word John uses for being witness and for giving testimony is the same as the Greek word for martyr. That's someone who stands for it, who would give his life for it. So sure he is that what he is saying is true. It's a testimony in which matters of life and death are at stake. Therefore, he doesn't just say that what he has seen was true, but rather that he was giving testimony of the truth. John saw the events and he knew this is gospel truth. Revelation truth, God's truth about Christ. That's what he stresses in order that you may believe. I hope, beloved, that you realize how unique, how peculiar this expression, this inter interruption is at this place. 
It does not happen too often in the Scriptures that the word spoken in the past is applied so forcefully, so directly to the ones to whom it is quoted. We find an example of it in Matthew 22, verse 31, where the Lord Jesus had a dispute with the Sadducees about the resurrection of the dead. Then he says, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That was said to you, Sadducees. In other words, what Moses said, he said to you. What Moses testified, he did that you may believe. Let's not treat God's Word as an objective report, beloved. Rather, receive it as a testimony of the truth to you, that you may believe. The more so when it is testified that the word spoken to you was fulfilled. Then you know that the word of God is reliable, trustworthy, that you may be assured of what? Do the Scriptures not say that by baptism you are united with Christ in his death and resurrection? Also, since you were united with Christ in his death, you will be united in his life as well. That's true. That's the truth for everyone who believes. In his death, he was the Christ, according to the Scriptures. In his death, everything happened that you may believe in him as the Christ. To John, brothers and sisters, this was important for his time already. Among the congregations to which John would send his account eventually, the significance of the death of Jesus as the Christ was denied already. In his days there were false teachers denying that the Son of God had assumed a true human nature and that he could die according to his human nature. Thus they denied that the Christ, who is at the same time true God and true man, could be the Christ still while hanging there on the cross dead. As you will recall, I referred to that on Sunday afternoon when we read together the epistle of John, the second epistle, where John characterizes them as deceivers, antichrists even. Well, today, the same teaching is promoted where theologians say, Jesus is important, sure, as a good example. His persistence even unto death must stimulate would-be reformers. His death, however, serves no other purpose than to shock us and to shame us about the way we treat reformers. Yet in itself, Jesus' death was nothing but a tragic event, an event without significance for salvation. There is nothing in his death to be thankful for, Against such a false teaching, John says, No! When the Lord Jesus was on the cross, 
He was the Christ in whom the Scriptures were fulfilled, the gospel of our salvation. Look at what happened and listen to the Scriptures and you will know the significance of this fulfillment. So let us see then in the third place the meaning of this fulfillment. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Psalm 34, verse 21. Of whom is this psalm speaking, beloved? Of the righteous one. In the psalm, the Lord says, no, not that he will keep the righteous one from all afflictions, rather that he keeps him in all afflictions. In this psalm, David is this righteous one. He escapes from a lot of afflictions when he finds himself safe and sound in a cave. There he says, I'm still here. I'm still complete. Not one bone of mine is broken. For David, that was grace. David's righteousness was an imputed, a given righteousness. Then of this righteous one, the Lord says that not a bone will be broken. David was righteous in Christ. Now Christ is the righteous one in whom this word is fulfilled, brothers and sisters. He suffered much and many afflictions. However, when the soldier lifted the sledgehammer to break his bones, God said, no. God stopped him. This is my righteous one. Don't do any irreparable harm to him. God keeps his word. Or does he? When we read Psalm 34, we see that the Lord keeps the righteous one alive. God preserves him from death. Here on the cross, however, the Lord Jesus is dead. That's true. Yet that's now exactly where the fulfillment becomes so wonderful. Not a bone may be broken because God preserves the Christ for life. Good Friday is the beginning of the resurrection. Here is the righteous one, beloved, who, who has done the will of God. He is the righteous one who did not deserve death, but who died to bear our sins. Therefore, God reveals him as the righteous one even after he has died. Thus, the apostle Peter can write, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. The Apostle Paul also writes to the Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Yes, the same John who reports this writes on the basis of this fulfillment, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 1 John 2 verse 1. 
You see, he is the Christ, true and righteous man. He is the Christ, the Son of God as well, beloved. In him yet another scripture is fulfilled, says John. They will look on the one they have pierced. In that word of the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, God is speaking, and he expresses Israel's rejection of him in this image. They pierced the heart of their God. Israel had grieved the Holy Spirit of God. All those who rejected him wounded him by their sins. That word now is applied to the Christ in whom this word has been fulfilled. He is the Son of God who came into the flesh to suffer and to die. He is the Redeemer in whom God himself had come to his people, but who was rejected by his people. This piercing, however, is not the end of him. For the prophet said, they will see him whom they have pierced. They will see him alive. They will see him whom they pierced, and he will show them the wounds, the sign in his side. For he will come again, and he will live. He will rise. Good Friday is the gospel of life through death, according to the fulfilled scriptures. Who will look on him, beloved? Zechariah prophesies that too. He says, the Lord will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on him whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. That's the spirit of repentance and supplication, which we see on Pentecost. Then the gospel of him whom they pierced is proclaimed to them, the proclamation of grace through the Christ who was raised. Then all those who believed, shared in his righteousness and in his life. For to that end, the signs had been given. For that purpose, the Christ was revealed and proclaimed. And now this same Spirit is coming with the gospel of the unbroken bones and the sign of the spear to you, beloved that you may believe and look on him eternally whom they pierced. For my brother and sister, believing is life. It is life to all who believe that this Jesus is the Christ for you as he went through death. It is life here and now through him, living in your work, living in the church, living in your activities under him as the glorified king. Believing, that is living for Christ, getting married for Christ, raise children for Christ. Believing is being deeply impressed by the truth that Christ had to lay down his life, had to die the most terrible death in order that we may be happy and healthy. 
Believing is knowing that your studies, your degrees, your jobs, your pleasures, your music, your singing are possible through Christ's death alone. Believing, beloved, is also that you may bear all your worries, your anxieties, your illnesses with him who died when taking all your afflictions upon himself. That's the gospel of Good Friday. That's the gospel for all those who have seen him today and who believe that he is the Christ. All those, however, who do not see him today as the one who was pierced will see him later. Look, he is coming. We read in Revelation 1 verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. They will mourn over their sins because it is too late for repentance. Therefore, brothers and sisters, look upon the Christ and cry for your sins, which brought him into death. But laugh also, the laughter of joy, the laughter of life. For look, the gospel of Good Friday was proclaimed to you, and all who believe it will live. Amen.